tell you a story about a guy known named uh, George. Not Ferguson, another George. Uh, I met George probably about 23, 24 years ago. Uh, he lived during the time of World War II. And uh, I don't see him very often, maybe once, sometimes twice a year. But George, in his story, he had one goal. He had one desire. And that desire was to leave his tiny little town and go see the world. But you see, George, like many of us, he didn't have an easy life. You see, George, uh, when he was young, he actually lost hearing in one of his ears trying to save his kid brother from drowning in icy waters. Every time George had an opportunity to leave town, he was always stopped because some circumstance would jump in his way, prohibiting him from leaving. Number one, a family member dies. He can't go. Another time, the family business desperately needs him or it'll crumble. Another time, he actually stayed when his brother graduated high school. He stayed and helped pay for his brother's college. This man, George, couldn't even take his wife out of town for their honeymoon because of an emergency. And what did Mr. George Bailey have to show for it? He was probably going to go to jail. Why? Because he had an uncle that lost $5,000 on his way to the bank. That is George's perspective. Any of y'all know George? You know George Bailey, right? All right. Listen, his perspective, his truth was that his life was a disaster at that point. He thought his life was a disaster. But what was the real truth of the issue? You see, because of George's life... He brought about a beautiful family. He affected the whole community with his grace and with his kindness towards people who were struggling financially. George, because of his niceness towards his brother, actually George had a part in helping the allies to defeat the Axis in World War II. And he had a major effect on the economy. All this because George Bailey lived. So indeed, it was a wonderful life. (laughs) It was a wonderful life, right? It was an absolute wonderful life. But, is this what makes life valuable? Sure, he had a wonderful life, but is that what makes life valuable? The answer to that is no. What makes life valuable is not your potential for good. What makes life valuable is not your contribution to society. What makes life valuable is not your wealth, your gifts, or your abilities. You see, humans are persons, not products. I'm going to say that again. Humans are persons, not products. And by the way, think about George. Think about that wonderful life uh, that that he lived. Let's take it another direction. What if we're talking about someone other than George Bailey? What if we're talking about someone who grew up to not be so kind, like maybe an Adolf Hitler? Oh, 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 well, then that person is of no value, right? Again, The potential for good, the potential for good is not to be the standard on how you and I should value life. So I'm going to ask this question. Why is life valuable? It's not valuable because of our potential for good. Life is valuable because God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything within them has placed value on you and on me. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we see God in his creative act creating the heavens and the earth and populating this earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he gets real deep. He gets real uh, intimate with his creation. For it says specifically, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. That's a big deal because before he created man, everything else that was created before, you can see it in the rest of the, uh, of the verse, uh, the chapter, excuse me, in the rest of it, he made things kind after their own kind. All right. So he did not make an elephant in his image. He did not make a sunflower in his image. He made those things images of themselves. But in here it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, let them have authority, let them have stewardship over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth for uh, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then it says, so God created man, how? In his image, in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, we are made in the very image of God. God is the blueprint of our being made. Everything else was kind after their own kind, an image of themselves. So you and I, we have to start putting some foundational truths in our lives when it comes to the value of humanity. And this uh, step number one, foundation one, you and I are uniquely made by God and in his image. Genesis 1 personally stresses the creation. Let us make, let us make versus everything else, let there be. So you and I are of great value. But not only are we great value because God says so, and he's the creator, he has every right to do that. We are also of great value because of his action, because of his love that was shown to each and every one of us by doing what? By paying your sin debt and mine so that God can be with you forever. And what a debt that was. How much are you worth I've said this before, and it just makes sense to me personally. I hope it makes sense to you. If you want to know how valuable you are, if you go to the mall, all right, and, and you, you're looking for outfits, and you see like a really, hey, I like this shirt, I'm going to try it. But before you do, before you take it off the shelf, what do you look at? Price tag, right? Price tag. And that determines whether you think it's valuable enough for you to buy. Well, every single one of us, every single one of us who have trusted in Christ if you were to look at the price tag of your life, it would say the precious blood of Jesus. Now think about it. It's precious blood. It is invaluable. You can't put a price on that. That's how, that's how God thinks of us. He's willing to do that. John 3.16 and 17 says this. For God so loved the world, by his own choice, he chose to pour his love and affection on anyone who would put their faith and trust in him. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son infinite value. That whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith in him, whoever trusts in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him, through Jesus Christ. So everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross, his payment for your sin and for my sin, the scripture says that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you have eternal life with God forever. So again, God alone is the one who can place value on humanity. He's the creator of it. He's the inventor of it. And he is the author of our lives. And he is the finisher of our lives and our faith. And we can cling to that truth. And the truth is, he deems every human being of great value. And again, your value, my value, is not based on my deeds. It's not based on my status but it is based on the God who made me. Listen, on my own, I'm pretty messed up. On my own, I could ruin things. 
Ask my wife and kids. I can, I can make matters worse very quickly. I'm pretty good at it. I've got a lot of practice, a lot of experience in that. So I don't bring anything to God's table, all right? God's not like looking around saying, I'm missing something. I've got a Scotch-shaped hold in my heart, and I'm going to bring him into my committee because I really need his great wisdom, his, his beauty, okay? His athleticism, all these types of things. God is not, no, no, no. The only good in me is Jesus, amen? The only good in you is Jesus, and he came to me. He came to you if you've put your trust in him. He came to you to pay the enormous sin debt that you owe against God and to give you life and a person. So your greatest asset is not your brains, not your brawn, and not your beauty. It is a God who loves you. Let me make this very clear before I move any further. Human life is extremely valuable. But I have another question for today. Here's what we, we, we tend to do. Every time a new question comes up, we try to pull out a blank sheet of paper. You can't do that. You've got you've to establish every bit of truth that you know of God's word, every bit of truth that you have learned, and you need to add them to every question you are asked. So after everything that we just said, let me ask this question for today. Does the value of human life extend to the unborn. Humanity. It is all of us. It's you and me and all the living humans on earth. It is also the quality of being human. It's the ability to love, to show compassion, to protect, to be kind, and to acknowledge the human rights of others. There were times when we forgot what humanity means. Times when we fail to uphold the human rights of others. Times when we have denied people their human rights based on colour or creed or gender or ability. But we have progressed from that discrimination and have recognised that we are all deserving of equal rights simply because of who we are. We are all human beings and have been since our lives began. This means the youngest of us should have the same rights as the oldest of us. The weakest should have the same rights as the strongest. A woman should have the same rights as a man. The preborn child should have the same rights as the newborn. Because human rights are fundamental rights to which every person is entitled simply because he or she is a human being. All human beings have the right to be safe the right not to be tortured, the right to be free. But one human right is more important than all of the others, the right to life. Because if you do not have the right to life, you cannot have any other rights. Mm. Now, abortion campaigners want you to take away this right from preborn children. They are human beings like you and I, but like other victims before them, their humanity is being denied to justify their killing. We do not deny human rights to those who are smaller. We do not deny human rights to those who are younger or less developed. We do not consider those who are dependent on others to survive as being less deserving of human rights. We do not discriminate by taking the right to life away from those who are sick and may not have long to live. We do not base a person's worth on the circumstances of their conception. The humanity of the preborn human cannot be denied. Do not deny them their human right to life. This Sunday, throughout all the Christian community and even non-Christian community, people who've understood the truth that human life is from conception until last breath, we celebrate today the sanctity of of human life. And what I'd like to do is turn your attention to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Because we need to know as, as people created in the image of God, we need to understand God's perspective on not just all life, because we, we've covered that, but 
Okay, specifically the unborn. And is that different? And I hope that what we find in Scripture is, no, it's not different. Human life is human life. No matter what stage you are in. Womb, infant, child, young adult, parent, grandparent. Psalm 139, let's look at verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13, David says, For God, you formed me in my, in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God, I praise you. Why? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David uses beautiful poetry to say, God, you are the one, you are the reason that I am who I am. And you started before I was even in the womb. God, you are the, you are the author of life and death. Nobody else should be. So God is intimately involved in our lives, even while we are in the womb. Jeremiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, at the very beginning of his book, he describes his call from God, and it is absolutely insane. In Jeremiah uh, 1, 5, the scripture says, uh, and this is God speaking to him, before I formed you in the womb, before that, before conception, I knew you, God says. That's crazy. See, there's this mindset that, that nobody places any value on anyone until they're born, until they take their first breath outside the womb. Well, that's not true. That's not true at all. The Bible says there is human value in person in the womb, and there is intimate knowledge even before the womb. So God knows us intimately. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I sanctified you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knows us before we're in the womb. It is God is the one who forms us in the womb. What it says, before I formed you, I knew you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Even as he, as God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be home, uh, holy and blameless before him. Listen, you are known, you are chosen. That means you are valued by God. God picked us. That is absolutely insane. People are unpicked. God in his love chose us. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That is insane. The love of God extends even before we were a thought on anybody's mind in this earth. That is insane. And you want to know something else insane? I've seen this on Facebook and it's pretty crazy. Uh, the Christmas story. How beautiful it is. In Luke chapter 1, we have uh, Mary minding her own business. And then an angel comes down. An angel says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Okay, You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. The Savior is going to be in your womb. And you're going to give birth to him and you're going to call his name Jesus. How insane is that? So now Mary and an angel and God himself knows that there is Jesus in the womb. Now the first recorded person that celebrated that Jesus was in the womb, check this out, was another kid in the womb. Okay, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, uh, Mary goes to Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with, who's the, the boy's name? John. And, and check this out, when she walks into the door, she says, hello, Elizabeth. Okay, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in the womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first person, the first recorded person to rejoice at the news of Jesus was a baby in the womb. Isn't that insane? I mean, do you not get that God is so involved even in the womb of an individual, of a person, of a human? So listen, if all life is valuable, womb to tomb, if if it's all valuable, how then are we to deal with the issue of abortion? How are we, as followers of Christ, to deal with the issue of abortion? Now, at this point, I want to make three little caveats, okay? Three little asterisks here, okay? Three areas of sensitivity I want to deal with right now, okay? Number one, I want to be very sensitive to those of us who have chosen abortion in the past, all right? I'm sure that in a room this size, somebody has been involved in that in some form or capacity. And if that is you, I want to say from the very beginning of this, because we've got to speak the truth, okay? We have to speak the truth. But God always calls us to speak it in love. So I want to tell you very clearly this. God is merciful. He is a forgiving God. He desires to cleanse us and to forgive us. And and listen to this. Set you free so that you can move on from this day forward in freedom. No longer in captivity. Okay? You can, you can, we can put every decision that we have made that was bad, wrong, immoral, whatever you want to call it, okay? It's sin in the Bible, and, and that's what we're going to call it. Okay? You put that at the altar to never pick it up again. That's how good and gracious our Savior is. So if this has affected you in any way, know that there's a God who loves you and wants to cleanse and forgive you and set you free. Please receive that freedom this morning by trusting in Christ. Please do that. And for those of y'all that already are Christ followers, and that burden is on you, Jesus wants to lighten your load so bad. He's already paid for it. Quit, Quit picking up a debt that's already been paid for. Second area of sensitivity. I know that there's young ones in the audience, so... I'm not going to, I'm going to have posted some videos on my Facebook, really good stuff to help us really understand this debate. Uh, so that'll happen right after service. Uh, I'm not going to get into, you know, crazy details right now because I want to be sensitive to our children in the audience. And the last sensitivity, and this is very important. For those that do not know, I identify as a man. Yes, I do. And because of that, I'm going to be making, a, making statements that mainly affect women. I understand that. And whenever I speak, ladies, I speak with humility. Not that I, I in any way know or, or, or you should even listen to my thoughts. I hope that what I give you is wisdom from God's word, not from just some guy. Okay? So with those areas of sensitivity, hopefully at place, let's move on. The first thing that we need to answer is this question. Okay? Or this thought. uh, Is the unborn human or not? Right? That's everything right there. That's everything. If the unborn is not human, then, then there's no need to argue against abortion. Right? If... If the unborn is not human, then there's no justification for the fact that abortion is necessary or not. It's it's a moot point. But Scripture has been saying for thousands of years, and listen to me very carefully, for those of us, and let's just be honest, I'm this way sometimes too. I might say, yeah, the Bible says this, but it's good to have an authority. That is a bad way to live your life, okay? It is, and I've done that many times before myself. But, for those of y'all that are still clinging to, I know what God's word says, uh, that, that life is valuable from uh, conception to last breath. I get that. But I'm here to tell you that for the past 30 years, science has been telling us that it is human life from conception. You see, in 1973... In 1973, whenever Roe versus Wade was passed, it was passed mainly on that idea that the person in the womb was not human. And that was based on politics. Okay, That was based on uh, just reasoning without facts. 
But in the late 80s and early 90s, we came up with some great technology that allowed us to see things happening in every stage of development of the child. And science now tells you life begins at conception. So that argument is over. Again, if the unborn is not human, why argue? But since, not if, because we've already figured out through science and more importantly through scripture. But since the unborn is human, you get this? Because it is human, then no justification for abortion is adequate. You can't argue this. There is no need for further debate. It has been proven scientifically and most importantly biblically that the child in the womb is human. So the issue should be settled, but it's not. Here we are, 46 years later, still debating the ethics of abortion. Why? I'm going to pose three kind of main arguments for it, three main arguments, and I hope that that the response I give is of wisdom and biblical understanding here. Argument number one, Women have the right to choose. That answer is not a biological answer. That is a political one. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay? There used to be a time when people would say things like this. Why are you against abortion? Very few people say that now. Very few people say that now. Now, they they don't start an argument with someone that they know is pro-life... And they don't like to use the term pro-life. It sounds too happy. Why are you uh, against abortion? Doesn't that just sound harsher? Why are you against abortion? No, no, no. They don't even say that. They say, why are you against a woman's right to choose? Now you're the enemy from the very beginning. It's all how you frame the argument, isn't it? We see that happening right now. Our Congress is shut down. Okay, our government is shut down. Why? It all depends. The answer to that all depends. The, the, the guilt of that all depends on who's the first one to get a hashtag on Twitter. And the first person to put a hashtag said Trump shut down. So guess what? It's all Trump's fault, right? Right, right? Isn't that how it works? Now, I'm not going to get crazy politically. I'm just making a statement here. Let me use another example. Okay? Dealing with immigration. Okay? It's a national big thing. It's a big debate. I'm not here to wrestle one point or the other. I'm just here to make a point. Here's the point. They're not saying, hey, illegal aliens, or, or it's even, even that's an offensive term now. <laughs> uh, people who are not supposed to be here are coming over, okay? And they're coming over illegally, all right? They don't say that in your local news. They don't say that in your, your headline news. Here's what they say. If you put that person in jail, they're going to be separated from their children. You hear that? Are you someone who is for separating parents and children? Now that pulls on your heartstrings, doesn't it? That's politics. That's not reality. Think of it this way. If someone comes into your house and robs you, and that person goes to jail, can you imagine his family saying, would you please let them go because you're separating their kids from them? Does that make sense? You see how how politics twist things? The argument is, women have a right to choose. And the argument is this. Yes, the baby is human. We can't argue that. But the baby is, is the mother's baby also, uh, the mother's body also. So if that's true, it's her body. And if it's her body, it's her choice. Okay? Biologically, that's wrong. Because the baby is not her body. It's in her body. Babies can have, and many times do, have completely different blood types. The mother nourishes the baby. Well, there's the answer to that, right? The mother nourishes the baby. The baby could not survive alone without nourishment. Uh, Have you ever heard of breastfeeding? Okay, that happens also outside of the womb. 
So you see how these arguments are not based on logic. They're not based on fact. They're not based on the truths of God's word. They're based on politics and about getting votes. And, and, and they can't, they sugarcoat it with, with things that you and I should agree with. Like women should have rights. Men should have rights. We all should have rights. But let's be honest. Taken to its furthest extreme, we don't want to have every right. Think about this for a moment. We are not to have rights in all things. Can men or women, can they have a right to eliminate toddlers when they become a burden? To which you're saying, okay, that's going too far, Scott. No, it's not if you have concluded that the baby in the womb is human. Age isn't the issue then, is it? So it is the same argument. No person has the freedom, the choice to end the life of a child if it truly is a child, right? And so consider this. When we think about the rights of women or men or whatever, consider this thought. Approximately half, that's me using my great uh, skills of statisticianism, <laughs> approximately half of abortions are on girls. Very young women. Abortion ends those girls' right to life. How can we say we're, we're pro-women's choice when they don't have a choice in the matter? One commentator says this, as a society that cherishes liberty, it is natural to think people should get to choose what to believe about the subject. Well, that may be true about beliefs, okay? Everyone has the right to choose what they want to believe, right? It cannot be true of behavior. Believe what you want, but you can't behave any way you want. We can't let people simply choose for themselves whether or not they're going to view another person walking down the street as having a right to life. You see, being pro-choice about someone's right to life is the same as saying they don't have a right to life. Because it's all in your hands. Women have the right to choose. Praise God that we have advanced in a whole lot of different ways. Women's right to vote and all those types of things. But a new feminism has come in in the past 20 years that have totally wrecked reality. And it has caused everyone, including men, to not even understand who we're supposed to be. Because we've strayed from God's word and we've listened to politicians. Number two. Making abortion legal or illegal, excuse me. Making abortion illegal forces women to find unsafe means of abortion. I get that. I've seen Dirty Dancing, okay? I, I get that. But listen, let's let, not, not emotionalism, not anecdotal situations, let, let's let truth right here, okay? Making abortion illegal forces women to find unsafe means of abortions. Listen, if it's dangerous to kill a person, should we make it easier to kill a person? That seems odd, doesn't it? I saw an interview. I saw an interview of a home invasion that took place. A guy comes in with a pistol into somebody's house. While he's in there, the owner was asleep, woke up. The owner didn't have a pistol. He had an AK-47. And he, he killed the intruder. The uncle of the kid who died goes on national news, you may have seen this, and said, you should not have AR-15s or AK-47s in the house because my, my nephew had an unfair advantage. Are you kidding me? If it's dangerous for someone to rob a bank, then maybe we should make laws to make it safer to rob a bank. I'm not going to go any further with that. Number three, more children, and please listen to this one. More children born will drain the economy. More children born will drain the economy. Listen, when humans get expensive or inconvenient, do we have the right to kill them?
The reason I said this is important because this right here is the heart of the matter. Let, let, let's land on this because this is the whole point. Everything else is smoke and screens. Everything else. Well, what about if it was rape or incest or, or the mother's life, which counts for like 0.1%, something crazy like that. And they use those as, as the, the mantra of why you should have abortion. Folks, that's politics. That's not reality. All right. This is the reality right here. Again, more children will drain our economy. The heart of the matter is this. The issue is no longer whether or not the baby is human. That has been settled. The issue is about personal desire, convenience, and here it comes, idolatry. This is the problem. Another commentator from gotquestions.org says this. Unprecedented numbers of children have been, because of idolatry, have been sacrificed at the hands of abortionists for the sake of convenience, immorality, or pride. I don't want people to know. Hundreds of thousands of babies have been killed so that their parents can maintain a certain lifestyle. That's bad. But what's even worse is that we have religious communities celebrating and praising God for this. I want to show you a picture. Two pictures, in fact. This right here happened this year in Ohio. Last year, it happened in Washington, D.C. What you see here in this picture, I don't know if you can see it very well, but these are people of faith, okay? These are religious leaders who have come out saying they are pro-faith, pro-family, and pro-choice. And they all came together to brand new Planned Parenthoods and prayed blessings over the sacred spaces. These people... Their, their whole uh, banner is everyone has the right to choose. Again, it's politics for saying you have the right to murder. And the saddest part of this is that there's a little child on the left side who someone, praise God, did not choose to abort is right there in the midst. You see this on the news constantly. There's a, uh, one of the actors, Olivia Wilde. She's actually pregnant doing a commercial. And in the, she, in the commercial, she says, I love this baby. It's amazing. But at the same time, I want to say I'm all for choice. Are you kidding me? This is something that's going on in the world. There's another picture. There's the same people, but you're showing it a different way. All these people believe that they are doing God's work. And I'm just going to be blunt, honest with you. That's not of God. I'm going to take it another step. It's satanic. And every bit of it, you can turn the lights back on. This is what breaks the heart of God. Because make no mistake, this is child sacrifice. Mark Harrington, the president of the pro-life group called Created Equal, says this. If you never believed abortion was child sacrifice, think again. These priests of child killing may, may not be offering children as a human sacrifice to Malek. Okay? Malek was a Canaanite god who, uh, they made it up of course, but uh, he demanded child sacrifices so that people can be more happy with their life. More blessed, more fertile. Okay? It's all about convenience. Alright, so this happened in the time of Canaan, way back in the Old Testament. Okay, so he says, these priests of child killing may not be offering children as a human sacrifice to Moloch. Okay, but instead they're offering them to the modern false idol of reproductive choice. It's, it's conscious, it's, it's clearly something, convenience, that's the word I'm looking for. It's all about convenience. What does God's word have to say about this? Let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, do you know why some of those who read the Old Testament, you knew that King David, when he came into power, it was a beautiful, glorious time. Israel had a good, godly king, and he had a son who came to reign next. What was the son's name? Solomon. Solomon, when he came, he was so wise, he was so wealthy, it was the high point of all of Israel. But later on in life, because he married Four, uh, 700 women, all right, and had 300 uh, ladies on the side. 
I mean, that's, that's sad to say. That, that's just crazy. He started worshiping their gods. One of them was Moloch. You find this in 1 Kings chapter 11. And he built an altar to Moloch. And they began to worship him. You know how they worshiped him. God came down and said, because of that, the kingdom's going to split. Look at Jeremiah uh, chapter 32. I want you all to turn to this because there's a couple of things I want you to see. Jeremiah chapter 32. This is the heart of God in this situation. It's, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. But it's also redemptive. So please turn to this passage. Please turn to this passage. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 32. Starting in verse 35. Jeremiah 32. 35. Jeremiah is speaking to the people. Of Israel, they were, do, they were full of a whole lot of junk. A whole lot of sin was going on in their life. And what they didn't know was that God was raising up an army in Babylon to come and attack Israel. Now you think, well, it's because they're greater, they're stronger, whatever. No, it's because God's hand of protection was off of Israel, off of Judah. Why? Because of sin. And, and this explains exactly what took place. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35 and 6 says this. It says, they, the people of God, supposedly, they built the high places of Baal in the valley in the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I did not can't command them, listen to this, God saying this, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Here's what, here's what I've learned in scripture. There's two things, two sins that are God's, uh, you can't go past this line. I'm about to move. Number one is this sexual expression that's absolutely foreign to the word of God. All the, the sexual deviation that we're a part of, God says, I've given you over to a reprobate mind. I've taken my hand of blessing over you. And the second thing is how we treat our children. And in this, the kingdom was divided. In this sin, the nation of Israel went into exile because of the way we treat our children, our defenseless, our helpless. God has a special heart for those and for us to do that is unimaginable in the heart and mind of God. And yet, we pass laws and we let it go. You see, I'm going to be very clear here. According to scripture here, God has every right to give over America to destruction. Because of the way that we have treated our unborn. God has every right. God's desire for us to repent. The heart of God is for us to turn back to Him. To love the things that He loves. Things that He hates. God desires, no matter how far you have gone, He desires you to repent, to turn and to seek His forgiveness in Christ. Because the chapter doesn't end there, does it? Look in verse 38. Jeremiah 32, 38 to 41 says this. God's going to make a change here. And he says, and they will be my people. Amen? And I will be their God. I will give them, listen to this, this is so awesome. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Listen to this. For their own good and for the good of their children after them. Let that sink in. God wants us to turn. We're going one way that's leading to destruction of America, our churches, and even ourselves personally. And the heart of God is not to judge, not to, to pour down condemnation. His, judge, his desire is for us to turn. It's to come back to the heart of God. To love everybody. 
no matter who they are, no matter how old they are, no matter what nationality, what socioeconomic status, what their abilities or inabilities are, God pours His love on us so that we can pour our love on our neighbor, whoever he or she may be. That is the heart of God. And that right there is proof that we are His. That we have turned our back on sin and we have turned to God. He goes on to say, I will, for those people who trust me, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Listen to this. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. This is a promise of God. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Do you see that? God is telling you what all his heart and soul desires to do. He desires to come to a people who are sold out for him. And he wants to pour out life and forgiveness, and blessing, and joy, no matter the circumstances that are going on in this world, God wants to give us himself to anyone who would follow his commands. Specifically, how we treat our kids, and how we honor our Lord Jesus Christ. So my invitation to you is simple. I said this a couple of years ago, I'm going to say it again. We are to be people who are pro-life. Okay? We are to be people that, that regard and place high value on everyone, no matter who they are. But we're not to just be pro-birth. Here's what I mean by that. Some of us will picket, we'll rally, and we'll do everything to, to force or to conjure people to say, you just need to have that baby. And then they have the baby, and now they're in trouble because they have no money. They have no family support. They have nothing. And now their situation has gone dire. To be pro-life means that we want to value life. Which means we want to come alongside young mothers, young families. And we want to help them through this process. We want to disciple young people and even middle-aged people who thought about having an abortion. And somehow we've shared with them the word of God and they chose life. We are not to leave them alone. We are to help them through this whole process. What are some things that you and I can do? Number one, we can pray that God in his awesome might and power would cause our governments and our individuals and our doctors to end abortion. We need to pray that. The next thing we need to do is, as I said, we need to come alongside these, these people who have very tough decisions to make. We need to show them the beauty of following Christ and the fact that when they follow Christ, they're not alone. That there's a church or there's a family that's going to rally around them and help them raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or we will help them to find uh, alternative ways for this child to, to grow up and to come and know the Savior through maybe adoption or something like that. Another way you can help. There are some great agencies out there that are doing this job. They're, they're uh, talking with parents. They're giving ultrasounds. They're showing uh, either unwed or wed mothers the value of human life. And they're counseling and they're sharing Jesus Christ with them. And you have an opportunity to give. These are our baby bottles. And these baby bottles, what they simply do is we ask you to fill them up with coins. And then in the next week or so, bring them back. And every bit of this, 100% of it, goes to our pregnancy care center in Spartanburg. So they continue, so that they can continue the awesome ministry that they have begun so many years ago. Do you have a part of this? Another thing that we can do. Educate your children. I'm about to say something that may come out uh, fierce. Love your, love your kids to Christ. Show them God's beautiful plan for relationships, sex, and marriage. But be gracious to them if they fail. And love them just as much if they come home and tell you some tough news. Too many Christian families are getting rid of their daughters because they've made a mistake. Stop it, church. Listen, we make bad decisions. But a baby is not a mistake. Christians, 
We need to start loving our families. Teaching them the truth and being with them when they skin their knee. Also, we need to support agencies helping pregnant mothers. Just like this, you may have others. There's one at uh, Mountain View as well. And here's another one. You pray, no matter how old you are or how young you are, pray about fostering or adopting. Because these kids are humans, right? And they're in the system. There's a very shy chance they're going to hear the gospel. And they're going to see it lived out in the lives of people. If every church, every church chose today to adopt one child, there would be no need for foster care. Pray about fostering or adopting a child. Listen, that's what the invitation is today. Okay? I'm going to extend it even further. I want to pray that someone in here gets adopted. Here's what I mean by that. The God of creation, the father of all things, he desires most that everyone in this room, it's the heart and soul of God, that everyone in this room knows him personally through Jesus Christ. The scripture says that whenever you come to him, you are adopted. You become a child of God, not by flesh, Okay, not by the will of man or the will of flesh, nothing like that. It is by the heart and will of God as he's drawing him here to you, uh, you to him this morning. If you feel that, if you feel, man, I don't have a relationship with God, but I feel like God's drawing me. That's exactly what it is. God the Father is drawing you to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants to adopt you today. Others in here who have come to know him, I want to ask you during this invitation, you pray about the things that we talked about. What is it you can do to not just be pro-birth, but to be pro-life to those who you come into contact with and those you have the ability to, to care for, whatever that may be. That's what our invitation is today. So if everyone would just bow your heads and close your eyes, here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray. A, it's a, a poem that was written by Susan Peterson. And this, this poem, I think, sums up... Uh, Everything that we've talked about today. And so I'll use this as our prayer as we go into our time of invitation. Father God, thank you, Lord Jesus, that life is sacred, a gift from above. Each person is worthy of honor and love. God, your works are so marvelous. We are wonderfully made. We each bear your image, conception to grave. Your hands shaped and formed us before we took breath. God, you knit us together and clothed us us with flesh. You give us our life and ordain all our days. Your works, O Lord, are wonderful. We lift our hands in praise. Upheld since conception and carried since birth, to old age and hair of gray, we are still of great worth. We still bear your likeness, the stamp of your hand. You made us in Jesus for all the works that you've planned. And so may we honor each person we meet. The kindness you've shown us, we wish to repeat. From children to aged, we'll serve them in your name. As you honor us, O Lord, we pledge to do the same.